Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Fandom Talk. And of course, guys, it's everyone's favorite Star Wars segment on this podcast. It is time once again for the EU or EU review. You all know my illustrious voice. I am Jacob Vance Hardesty, mm. the editor in chief. However, we also have the equally illustrious. Mr. Al Manley, better known as the Red Lanyard. Al, how you doing tonight, man? Dude, I'm doing great. I am ready to get suave. I am ready to get just heated. I'm ready to get erotic. This mm. is just, I'm ready to put everything I have into this episode, man, because we are we are entering some new territory here on Star Wars EU Review. We are. Uh, you are absolutely correct. We, I... I don't know who we can properly blame for this episode because I know for a fact that either either Alyssa, your your lovely wife, or Josh, my idiotic brother, one of the two, um, whichever one of them said it first, the other one was immediately on board. Um, I don't really know who to 100% accredit it to, but... Um, Tonight, guys, for those of you, if you haven't really paid close attention to the title, we are covering The Courtship of Princess Leia by Ooh. Dave for 10. Um, My boy Dave. Yeah. So this came out in 1994, um, the year that George Lucas began pinning the prequels. Um, and it, it is it is a... It's an interesting time for the Star Wars Expanded Universe, as as we all well know. Um, we've read some good, some bad, and tonight we're going to read... Or we're going to be talking about... What did you say? Some sexy. <laughs> some sexy, yes. Um, Al, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you, just right, right off the bat, what was the... What would you say was your... <laughs> Your quickest summary of this book, because you texted it to me the, just the other day. I'm wondering if you remember exactly how you worded it. Um, oh, gosh. If I texted you right after reading it, then I was probably in a haze, and I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not sure I recall. Um, if I had to summarize it right now on the spot, and then you can you, you um, asked share a question. with us. Then you can you share with this? us. Um, I asked a question. Um was it um when did everyone in star wars get so sexy and problematic is is that what the question was close enough (laughs) (laughs) you you would actually ask why was old star wars so horny that was a direct quote about that's pre- this book. Hey, that's pretty good. That's that's pretty closely aligned to what I just said. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Spooky. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so so this book, for those of you who don't know, we are going to get into a quick synopsis here in just a second. Um, but this book, if, if you are unaware, this is the book that introduces... Um, the planet it introduces a couple things that become fairly essential to the new canon of Star Wars, um, as we are seeing in recent seasons of different shows. Excuse me. Um, it introduces the planet Dathomir, which is the home planet of characters Darth Maul and Asajj Ventress. 
because of that, it also introduces the concept of the Night Sisters. Um, and that's about where it stops because everything else that is in this book about both the planet and the Night Sisters has kind of changed in recent years. Um, and we're, we're going to talk about that's for the better or the worse um, here in a little bit. Um, boy. <laughs> yeah, boy. Um, but Al, I'll tell you what, if you don't mind, I'm going to kick it off to you. Ooh. I want you in, in the next few minutes to give us a brief synopsis of this book. Because this is because because everything we're about to talk about, they people, in my opinion, you need context for what is happening in the book to talk about to talk about. The, the, this isn't one that we can just kind of move, just kind of trudge through. We, we have to we have to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. It's true. That's true. If, this is a discussion that uh, definitely requires some context and hopefully I can re- <laughs> hopefully I can provide it well here. So um, so first step. Uh, before we get into the story itself, this is very important. I need everyone to go hop onto your smart device or open a new tab in the window of your computer. However, um, you're hanging out right now and listening to us. I need you to search for the original cover art of this book, okay? And the reason why this is important is okay, that... I'm doing this, actually. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, because we actually own um, a copy of the original cover art. Um, I believe this book belonged to my wife's grandfather um, i want to say he collected a lot of um, the og of star wars books as they were coming out the reason why this is important is because on the original artwork um for the cover of this book there is a look on princess Leia's face that i need you to understand is basically the expression she has throughout this entire book <laughs> i need you to get that okay is, Conversely, is, it co- is it the cover where she's in the dress? Yes. Okay. Yes. In the dress with like the wreath kind of thing in her hair. Okay. Because um, yeah. I, I have the paperback with the rancor on the cover. So that's no, a, no, I was no, confused. that's not going to do it. It's not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm unfamiliar with what that picture is, but I can already tell you it does not have the same effect. It, it does not. No, you are correct. <laughs> okay. Conversely, also on the cover of this book, of this original artwork is Han Solo. And I need you to know the expression on Han Solo's face is not descriptive of him at any point in this story because he looks very calm and very resolute. And I would not use either of those adjectives to describe his behavior in the courtship of Princess Leia. So (laughs) with those kind of ground rules set to provide a backdrop a little bit. So um, this takes place on the story itself, chronologically takes place about four years after the events of of return of the jedi um i believe i have that right um yeah so um uh, about four years after the return of the jedi um in the old canon um and also in uh, the new canon as well to be fair the time after return of the jedi was an absolute like total cluster like it was not good. <laughs> Things did not go well, <laughs> and so um, the crux here, and I'll tell you why this is so important to understand about the chronological context of this, is that the New Republic has been in in like war stalemate with the remnants of the Empire since the day Palpatine died. 
Okay, so this is kind of setting the stage. Okay, so this is why um, the reason why this is important is that I'm trying to give this story the benefit of the doubt and try to give some kind of explanation for why zero of the characters in the story act the way we would expect them to act. Sure. Um, I'm assuming that they are traumatized by the constant war, that they just aren't themselves, that they've been trying to stop um, the Imperial Grand Moffs and Warlords who just who just reproduce like rabbits uh, but they can't find an, <laughs> an end to this war so uh, we're in the uh, we're in the midst of that the head honcho of the um i guess we'll say imperial resistance i guess i'll say uh the head honcho at this point is um a former grand moth by uh the name of i'm gonna say zinge i don't know if that's how you say that i'm gonna say zinge yeah, that's um, true. So Warlord Zinj, anybody who knows EU pretty well, knows that um, in the old canon, this was a really important guy. He showed up a lot during those first few chronological years after episode six um, in the timeline. Um, this, to my understanding, is the, I think is the first appearance of Warlord Zinj possibly this second or third, but Zinj is kind of like the villain in the backdrop of the story at this point. Um, that is going to come up again later on this episode. I'm not going to go into it now, but it's going to come up again. Um, so he's kind of the head honcho. He's waging this, this war. He has a huge superstar destroyer that is like just causing chaos throughout the galaxy. And Han Solo has been on assignment trying to, trying to like rouse and help their allies and thwart the plans of this, um, Zinge character. He finally comes home. He comes back to Coruscant. To find that uh, this giant fleet is there from the Hapans system and um, sent as kind of an ambassador or a royal representative, if you will, of the Hapan system, which is this super old, ancient, very rich, very influential, but kind of isolationist area of the galaxy. Um, sent as a representative is Prince. Um, this prince of the royal family, heir to the throne, um, named Prince Isolder. Um, Jacob, this is going to drive you crazy. I read his name as Isolder for most of this book. Yeah. <laughs> because that's just kind of how I saw it. For, um, for, for those reading at home um, <clears throat> or listening, excuse me, um, and you can't see it, uh, it is spelled I-S-O-L-D-E-R. So it is said almost exactly like you could say it as a solder or a sealder, you know. And so, yeah, it's it was it, it's way too close for comfort, in my opinion. It's very distracting. It's <laughs> it really is. It's very distracting. So so wait, the entire time the, the entire novel was there a part of you that that was just seeing him in Mount Doom to say no, like any time that he was like. You know, yes, yes, arguing, I, yes, okay, yeah, good, okay. I imagined the actor who played Isildur in the films at like, at like the confrontation in Mordor against Sauron's army to be to be walking around like same kind of like 
<laughs> same costume like he like has the ring around his neck like <laughs> he's just going about this insane space adventure with all of our star wars characters <laughs> that's what i imagine in my mind so um prince is soldier i'm going to try to emphasize that prince is mm-hmm. soldier um has come to coruscant to enter into a kind of negotiation to join the new republic or ally with the new republic and basically the request their price is that um our beloved character princess Aya organa um agrees to get hitched and become his bride and we learn that the hapan system is ruled by a very patriarchal type of society so she would essentially be like the true person in power when um, the current queen princess soldier's mom um, eventually passes away so um everybody on coruscant does not even blink at this proposition it's insane everybody on coruscant is just like sounds good let's do it like immediately <laughs> nobody is just like hey we don't really know anything about this guy we don't really know if he has any ulterior like plans or motivations it's weird that he came here and not like his mom who's really like in charge um even though <laughs> she does show up eventually um they are just kind of like oh hapon's really rich and we're trying to fight a war against zinge sounds good let's <laughs> let's ship off the most <laughs> arguably the most influential individual in the new republic to go live on his system light years away <laughs> like and just go do that for a while and we'll try to figure out how to fight the war without her everyone's fine with this uh, the one exception of course is um han solo everyone's lovable rogue and so as han solo sees that <coughs> excuse me um as han solo sees that inexplicably Aya is quickly falling in love with Princess Older uh, over the course of like two days. It's ridiculous. Um, he sees this happening. I guess they've been slowly falling apart over the years since Return of the Jedi uh, because this is happening very easily and very quickly. Han Solo is just like, I know what I'm going to do. They need a new home for the survivors of Alderaan. I'm going to go play a... <laughs> play a high-risk card game, and win the rights to a planet that nobody knows if anyone, like, is living there. Nobody knows if, like, the natives, like, object to this. Um, Actually, an oddly realistic idea for Star Wars, honestly. And I'm going to win this planet for the remnant Alderanians to go to and make their new home. I'm going to trust the person that I I win this planet from who is in a bar where humans don't go because it's it's so seedy and evil. That's a real description from the book. And I'm going to win it, and I'm going to assume that humans can live there safely, and I'm going to win back Aya's love. Okay? So he does this. He wins the planet of... Athamir. Now, over the years, a new canon, Athamir has become a lot more prevalent in Star Wars canon. 
So we know that this is like um, the home of the Night Sisters, of uh, the Night Brothers. This is where um, Darth Maul hails from. Uh, this is a planet you go to. Uh, I'm a Jedi Fallen Order. So he wins the he somehow wins the rights to the planet of Dathomir. I'm going to let that go. So he wins the rights to the planet of Dathomir. And Princess Leia shows incredible insight. And it's just like, okay, well, what do we know about this planet? Come to find out it's um, under the control of the Imperial remnants. So she's just like, well, it was a good try, but we can't, use that as a home at least until after the war han solo shoots her with a gun that takes away her autonomy <laughs> i'm not i'm not making this up you're not making no no you're han not making solo anything up. shoots her with a hapon gun that was given as a gift first of all i know the geneva convention is not a thing in star wars but um, that gun has to be a war crime. That's insane. What not it called like the gun of command or something like that? Yes, it is. Yes. <laughs> the only way it could be worse if it was called like the gun of subservience. It's, rid it's ridiculous. <laughs> um, Han Solo shoots her with a gun that takes away her autonomy and leads her onto the Millennium Falcon shoves her into a compartment in the Millennium Falcon, unbeknownst to Chewbacca or C-3PO, until halfway through the trip to Dathomir, to convince her that the Alderanians can live on Dathomir while it's being occupied by the Imperials? I don't know. I don't know why Han Solo acts the way he does in this book. It's insane. He is unbalanced. Um, people realize that Aya is gone. Um, sets off a, sets off a lot of alarms. Princess Solder is just like, I'm gonna go win Leia back from Han Solo, because the Soldor is like, uh, <laughs> I mean, he's a romance protagonist from the '90s. Like that's what he is. He's just like, I'm gonna win her back from Han Solo. I'm gonna shoot her with my own gun of obedience and <laughs> we're going to win her back and marry her and everything will be great you uh we find out that the queen of hapan um Isolder's mom is a psychopath um in a family of psychopaths <laughs> and it's just like well if i find them i'm gonna kill han solo and maybe i might kill princess leia who's to say this older just like oh, well can't have that so he teams up with my favorite character in this book who is <laughs> Luke Skywalker. <laughs> Luke Skywalker, at this point in time, is trying to find <clears throat> records of the old Jedi temples and academies to learn how to build, um, to rebuild the Jedi Order, essentially. So this takes place in time prior to the Jedi Academy trilogy by Kevin Anderson, which has become my standard of quality for the old canon stuff. Um, so he's trying to find out. Now, I, I, I do have to, I have to ask you a yeah. question. Sure. Okay. Because there, because you have you have actually read a little bit more old canon than I have, um, and I, I was curious because as he is discussing all of this and as we discover everything about Jedi Academies, because there's something that you're you're about to get to that was really interesting to me, but I have to ask you this question: 
In old canon, was there not a Jedi temple on Coruscant? Like, was the main temple not on Coruscant? Um, yes, there is a temple on Coruscant. A part of the old canon, I'm not sure if it's translated into new canon or not, but um, a part of the old canon is that the reason Luke is uncomfortable with having a temple there is that um, there's also the remnants of a if temple on Coruscant as well, and he believes that that is what op- that is what obscured the Force to the Jedi's in the first place. So he's trying to avoid that. Uh, that's basically why um, the first part of the Jedi Academy trilogy is him trying to find a new planet because he is uncomfortable with starting the temple on Coruscant uh, because of its history. Gotcha. Okay, and we are. 100% going to cover those eventually because they because everything you've said about them sounds really interesting. Um, but please, please continue on. You were talking about Luke looking for the remnants. I apologize. Thank you. No, for no, it's, that, no, no, it's fine. Um, so Luke, that's what he's up to at this point. So he's still semi early in his searching. Um, he has not met R.A.J. at this point. He hasn't met any of the students who will eventually form his academy down the road. Um, he's kind of like a one-man act at this point. Um, he hasn't had the horrible trauma and PTSD that happens in Dark Empire. So he's kind of he's kind of doing his own thing. Um, he finds that at one point, way back when, uh, before the Empire, before all that jazz, way back when with the Jedi, um, there's a reference from Master Yoda to something that happened on the planet of Hathamir. And that kind of becomes kind of like a side project of his to find out what exactly happened on Dathomir that would involve someone like um, Oda in his prime. Um, So eventually, he comes back to Coruscant. He's kind of keeping up with stuff that's that's going on on Coruscant. They have like Star Wars televisions that he's watching and he goes back <laughs> Paul of Vids, I guess they are he goes back to Coruscant eventually he learns that Princess Leia is gone he meets with the Hapan royal family for a while he's just like hey the queen of Hapan is like really evil I don't know what that's about um, <laughs> you find out that the queen of Hapan like hates the Jedi um, you don't really find out what that's about either yeah um, and um, and then Princess Older comes to Luke and says, hey, um, I've heard that Jedi can travel the galaxy in ways that others can't, which is kind of a bomb to drop, but that's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I've heard <laughs> I've heard that space stops being three dimensional when you're a Jedi. Is that true? <laughs> um, so <laughs> it could be. So so he's just like, um Will you travel with me to find to find your sister and my betrothed? Because I don't want my people to find her first. Because I can't guarantee Han Solo's or Aya's safety if they do. Luke, who is like if a philosophy professor started really heading in to MDMA after he achieved tenure at the university. 
that's the way I'm kind of describing Luke in this story. He's just kind of like, hmm, Dathomir, I will go with you, Princess Alda, but I will not tell you why. I'm going to go stare out into space for 17 hours while we fly. And like, he's, it's, it's, he's the most checked out person I've ever seen. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. People who say that Luke in The Last Jedi is not acting how Luke in the old canon would act are lying to themselves. They're insane because Luke in the old canon is the most detached person I've ever seen. Uh, there's one point where where. Aya is pouring her heart out to Luke, saying, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I should follow my head or my heart. Who do I get? Airy to Luke, the weight of the New Republic is on my shoulders. And Luke is just kind of like, that sounds very serious. <laughs> Aya, have you ever heard of Daphne? <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's crazy. It's the most disconnected from everything I've ever seen, Luke, which is saying something. Um, again, I've read the Dark Empire comic, comics, and it's it's even more than that. Um, and so, and so they go. Whole gang eventually ends up on Dathomir. Um, and so we get to Dathomir. We're just now getting to Dathomir. This is how it feels to read the book, y'all. <laughs> There's a lot of talk about Dathomir, and it takes us like 140 pages to get there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's only like a 320-page book. So so we get to Dathomir, and we find out that Dathomir is populated by the Night Sisters, which is something we've seen since. But the Dathomir Night Sisters in the Ode canon really love having male sex slaves. To a point that it is both a form of nationalism as well as, like, it's so ingrained in their culture that our heroes, when they hear about it, they're just kind of like, well, I don't have the cross-cultural experience to really deal with this, so we're just going <laughs> to allow this to happen. <laughs> this is, I've got way bigger fish to fry than this... This cultural institution of male sex slavery. Um, uh, there's Imperials about. We have to worry about that. <laughs> um, and so, like, things happen. They find out who are the good witches of Dathomir and who are the bad witches of Dathomir. There are some who have teamed up with Zinj. There are some who are resisting um, the true Height Sisters, which kind of has, like, a negative connotation on Dathomir. Um, as um, the witches who use the dark side of the force, essentially. Um, so there are quote-unquote good death and here force users who enslave and sell men for sex. <laughs> and there are bad force users on death and here who enslave and sell men for sex. Um, at various points in this book, Han Solo, Princess Soldier, and Luke are all considered to be potential slaves to be sold and kept for sex. And it's alarming how it all that is confronted within the context of the story. I need you to understand that, y'all. Um, so um, eventually, um, 
honestly, y'all, I've hit all the high points. Things happen. There are, like, space battles and force battles that happen. Eventually, they defeat the Empire over Dathomir. Princess Leia is just like, Isolder, I actually don't love you. I love Han Solo. Isolder is just like, that's fine. I found basically a version of you that, like, can use the Force, so I'm all set. Um, and then the... The the sex trafficking of Dathomir is is left unattended for the rest of the book, and presumably into perpetuity for the rest of the old canon of Star Wars. And everybody is everyone lives happily ever after, except for the men who are being sold as sex slaves on Dathomir. Um, that is a quick synopsis of what happens in courtship of Princess Leia. Jacob, think- do you have any notes? <laughs> I think my favorite part is that once you were once you got to like so there's two different night sister tribes you were basically just like you know what like at this point in the book it really just starts kind of just going where you think it's going to go pretty much so let's just cut it off there uh, everyone's weird this book is weird um you did leave out one key thing the the last page of this book <laughs> is an annoyingly important moment in Star Wars history because it is the wedding of Han Solo and Leia Organa. Beautiful. So Skywalker. Beautiful. So that that is kind of that is kind of a big thing. Great. Um, there is and you know what Jacob there is one plot point I left out that I do want to, to circle back to real quick. Early okay. in the book um E3PO has it in his mind that the reason why a soldier um, is oh, yes. presumably a better match for Aya <clears throat> is that um, both of them come from planet royalty. And so C-3PO gets it in his head to review some of the historical um, documents and legends of the planet of Corellia, where Han Solo was from, and finds that Han Solo is the unnamed, unclaimed um, heir apparent king of Corellia. Okay, this is dropped on like page thirty-five mm-hmm. of the courtship of Princess. <clears throat> it does not come up again until like page three hundred and eighteen. And that is when C-3PO says, oh, actually, I studied them some more, which I don't know how that works with a droid. But I studied them some more. There was infor- <laughs> there was some information I missed. And actually, um, that's not true. Han Solo is not the king of Corellia. And you, the reader, are left sitting there just like, what the hell was the, what the, hell was the point of that thing? <laughs> You've had me on the hook for 280 pages wondering if this is going to be significant or not which I was immediately skeptical when they said Han Solo is the king of Corellia because none of the books I've read in the old canon have ever alluded to that. <laughs> so what's what's interesting, well, also you left out that Luke then turns C-3PO off and, t- and throws him into a closet. Um, oh, well, sure. Which, you know, once again, just... Yeah, we're gonna we're, we're gonna argue about the throwing of the lightsaber, but yeah, he can just throw C three PO around apparently. Switching switching off a droid is like the droid equivalent of shooting somebody with the gun that takes away your autonomy. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> just not realizing that. 
excuse me i'm sorry um i was too stunned by the by but by this story <laughs> um no it's um so that subplot where we'll we'll start there but that that entire subplot what's interesting because they they don't go anywhere with it either um what's interesting about it is is that the guy who is arguing the the random New Republic guy who I can't remember his name it's Th- Th- Thrakum I think or something like that. I have good um, news. Uh, this was the first I had ever read of him as well, so I don't think he comes up again. He never comes up again. Okay, <laughs> basically the entire his entire role in this he is he is the leader of all the people on Coruscant. They're like, dude, you could absolutely go for it with this guy, uh, with, with uh, a soldier. And you know, get us all the money. So, so I mean, for all intents and purposes, it, it's it's awkward because the New Republic is basically pimping out uh, Princess Leia. That's like, exactly what they're doing. I mean, exactly yeah. what they're doing. And we briefly, we briefly see in like eight or ten lines of dialogue that Mon Mothma is fine with it. Yes, yes, he is. <laughs> Which is, is insane. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of something that Mon Mothma would be less fine with. <laughs> so much so, she actually tells Han Solo to basically back off, uh, which is yeah. She she turns around, she gaslights Han Solo, and is just like, <laughs> "Well, I know that you've been kind of important to her in the past, but um, I think it's time for you to take a step back." And it's just like, "What?" I'm sorry, Mon Mothma. Were you in a coma? during the events of Return of the Jedi? Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not like they, you know, led a strike team to, you know, end the entirety of the of the, of the Empire, basically. Um, but but whatever. Whatever, you know. <laughs> um, but no, so, so Thrakum, or what, whatever the hell his name is, he makes the claim... Say Thrakum, that's fine. Yeah, sure. Yeah, we're just with Thrakum. He makes the claim that Han that his uh, uh, his claim is not legitimate because he uh, whoever C three PO is talking about was a deposed king who was actually a pretender to the crown. Okay. So the truth of what comes out at the end is actually what exactly he was talking about. So it has no relevancy on the story whatsoever and is basically disproven immediately. (laughs) And and C-3PO has this like impassioned speech of like, I don't understand how what an ancestor does should lead the current claimant to be any less, uh, any less viable for the throne. And it's and, and and at first you're like, oh, okay, well that's that's kind of cool. They're wanting to just kind of you know, you know, think about who the actual person is taking the throne as opposed to you know who they, who who their family was. But but then it's like, oh wait, no, it's that that doesn't matter at all. Like it's just we're just not even going to focus on that. So it mm. that was it, a really weird subplot. You you were absolutely correct. It's very. <laughs> It's in very, a book of weird subplots. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very strange. Um, the whole idea, the p- p- politics are kind of discussed a lot in this book, and I say kind of because like they come up and then they're almost in, uh, instantly abandoned because there's what starts to be an interesting interaction between Aya and 
and it's older about like the idea of like ruling by birth and ruling through democracy and the importance of like the importance of like um inherent intuition of kings and queens versus like taking on a representative role for your people and they start to talk about that and Solder really pushes forth this ideology this almost kind of eugenicist ideology of just like well of course the ruler should be should be wise and good to his people that those are the qualities that are bred into a royal family and and which is like a insane statement to make and princess leia is just kind of like you might have me there i don't know <laughs> and you're just like what no no he doesn't have you there leia. <laughs> what are you talking about like i know you're a princess but you just talked about how like no there's like hope in, in democracy and ruling through the people and through through representation and and rule should be decided by like character and not by entitlement and a soldier is just like well i don't know about that because i think if you're royal you should be entitled because you're already a great a great person to lead and and leia is just kind of like isn't your mom a psychopath like that's what she should be saying <laughs> that's what she should be saying but instead she just kind of like well i don't want to talk about this anymore and it's just like no don't don't be like don't don't be and shapiro when he he talks to anyone over the age of 18. Like, don't, <laughs> don't immediately back out. That's ridiculous. I, since we're already talking about him, him not, not Vicky Piro. Um, <laughs> since we're already talking about him in, in this book, I, I am curious. What were, what were some of your thoughts of Prince Isolder just throughout this book? Just kind of overall as a new star Wars character, because he has, he has a moment with Luke that I, I have to talk about with you here here in just a second. But but I want I want to hear your thoughts on him. I don't think there was a single page where I had a positive thought about Princess Older <laughs> 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 because he's introduced and this whole time this is great. It's it's scary. Um, everybody out there is about to like is about to see the fruit of this statement I'm about to make. It's weird how often Arnold Schwarzenegger has come up in the last few days <laughs> for me. <laughs> because when a soldier is introduced, I immediately think that he is Arnold Schwarzenegger from Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> like, Fair. That, that is what I'm envisioning because that's what he's described as. Um, there's like There's like this thing where he walks, he's introduced and he walks off the ship and he like he doesn't have a shirt on for some reason and it's just and it's just like the the muscles in his chest were as long as the strands of hair to his shoulders so i'm just like i don't know what that means um <laughs> is, is he constructed like a fridge with arms that makes no sense um so so at no po at no point does princess soldier ever express and I, yeah, he goes into his backstory and his backstory is, is kind of empathetic because he talks about how his older brother who should have been, um, 
who should have been the heir, was like assassinated. He talks about how he went on his own campaign to find the people who killed his brother and things like that. And so his backstory starts to get kind of sympathetic. But as far as what we see this character actually do and say, at no point do I ever feel like akin to Princess Older. Because, I mean, for one thing, he believes in the inherent autonomy of kings, which is an idea that is so unpopular in Western culture that it died out like before we figured out how bathrooms worked. He, he he shows up and and like he's just he he's one of those characters I guess he's like the male version of like um uh Harry Sue because for some reason he's just like he's good at everything he does and he knows a lot about stuff. He's just like, oh Han, I see you're an expert pilot and and you build and maintain your own ship. I build and maintain a ship 20 times the size of this and it's faster too. And it's just like, okay, <laughs> like, <laughs> just, just stop. This is ridiculous. Um, he doesn't, he, he knows what his family is and he still is just kind of like, well, you know, Hey, if you come with me, um, you totally won't have to worry about how everyone and my family is insane. Um, like he totally, he completely misleads her about upon throughout the book. And then he so quickly, we haven't gotten to this character yet, but there is a character we meet who is a witch on Athamir. Don't worry, everybody. She's the good kind of witch who, who owns a man as slaves. Um, but <laughs> she, uh, her name is Aniel. And um, I'm going to refer to her as Ten. Um, and there's this weird interaction that happens where Ten runs into Luke and a soldier and sees that Luke has the force. And she's just like, he would make a wonderful sire for my children, which is a line that belongs in Mad Max Fury Road and not, <laughs> not in a Star Wars book. And she sees a soldier and it's just like, he, well, he's stupid, but he will fetch a fair price, which is a line you could laugh at if slavery was not strongly implied. And so, <laughs> but a soldier slowly starts to fall in love with Ten simply because she's really hot and can use the force. <laughs> and I know I'm not going to sit here and pretend that that would not be enough or me, but <laughs> with the soldier, it's also just kind of like, okay, you just you describe yourself as betrothed to Leia for the good of both Hapan and the Galactic Republic as a whole, and you are so quickly led astray by this witch who owns slaves and just like has a really well toned. Upper body is the main thing he describes about her. And by the end of the book, he's just kind of like, oh, well, hey, uh, don't worry about it, because I'm going to use this, this witch of Dathomir to be, to be my betrothed. And the way I'm going to do that is to manipulate her into threatening the safety of everybody important 
on Hapan, and that is going to be the foundation of our rule together. And I'm just like, this guy is a dictator, and nobody is pointing this out. <laughs> and then the story ends, and he's like, at the wedding of Han Solo and Leia. And I'm yeah. just like, no. <laughs> Why did you invite him? Why are you there? Why did you show up? <laughs> Lando oh, isn't no. there. Why are you there? <laughs> there is no Lando in this book. Even if this book had been like really, really, really good, on a scale of zero to ten, it any book is going to lose at least three points if Lando Calrissian is not in the book. I'm sorry. That's, that's completely fair. That's just how, that's just how I am. So no, I don't like Princess Soldier. I think he's a stupid character and he has no payoff. And the only thing I have to conclude about him based on what I'm told is that he's going to be a horrible dictator to his people. <laughs> all, all of that is fair. Every single thing you just said is fair. Um, oh, do you not want to pay taxes this month? Sure hope my witch wife doesn't strangle your children in their sleep. Like, <laughs> I, Yeah. Like you're... <laughs> the... I wanted to try and see what the author was going for. I really did, but I just I just could not. I, I don't I don't get a soldier as a character. I don't really think that he has a lot of development. Um there is a scene where Luke is Luke has just recently landed on Dathomir because Luke is able to do things that no I look the strike's over. We can talk about Ahsoka now. I don't want to hear any any shit about well, how could Sabine survive the lightsaber going through her side? As opposed to Luke in a free fall. Oh my god, I forgot about this. Plummeting towards the planet surface, apparently goes into a Jedi trance to um to not only uh, slow his heart rate down to where he can survive in the free fall and also be hidden from the sensors, but then just lightly meditates and floats down towards the planet's surface, uh, apparently either A, not needing to breathe and or not uh, catching fire on the way to the planet's surface. Yeah, while... Uh, in that stance, while he's also controlling the fall of the soldier's ship. Yeah, like, yes! Forgot like, about that! <laughs> like, I get I get that it's Luke Skywalker. Like, I really do. I understand. Like, especially in the old canon, he can do whatever he wants. I get that. Sure. Like, <laughs> I understand. But, like, at the same time, if we're going by chronology, like, Heir to the Empire hasn't happened. Ark empire hasn't happened um he hasn't um sharpened his skills with his students yet like we are still dealing with a semi raw version of luke skywalker mm -hmm. and it doesn't this scene is supposed to look really cool that effect is kind of ruined by the fact that we view this scene from the perspective of a soldier for some reason, mm -hmm. who introduces the scene by saying, I look over to Luke's starfighter and see his body ragdolling about the cockpit. <laughs> <laughs> that is not 
helping set the scene for this <laughs> whatsoever because that is hilarious that is hilarious to see <laughs> and i can only imagine that i mean know soldier hooks up at the sky when he lands on dathmir and luke is floating down in his trance and every bone in his body is jutting out at a right angle because he ragdolled for like three miles into the atmosphere of dathmir <laughs> So, so yeah, so starting off, that, that's, that's like the first time we see Luke doing like anything like massive in this book. Um, but as we go forward, okay, because like the entire time that we have this journey, I guess, between a soldier and Luke over the next like three chapters, um, before they both almost get captured and sold into slavery. Um, which is, God, this book's weird. Um, there's a point where Luke, also somehow R2 survived everything. That's another, which we don't even really, really know how. Like, my actual assumption was that, like, he jumped out at the last possible second, landed, and then the ship blew up behind him. Like just like a, just like a full like eighties action hero because that that just makes sense at that point. Um, I assume um, every time something strange happens and R two is involved in like a dangerous uh, situation, uh, my head canon is that R two D two is constantly being protected by um, the Force Ghost of Obi Wan. So he I, just has yeah. a he just has a Force shield just around his frame, just protecting him from all damage. He's just. <laughs> Constantly saying, I'm so sorry I didn't acknowledge you. Like, we, I'm going to protect you. It's like, this will be our secret, R2. Yeah, yes. Um, <laughs> but, um, so they start journeying, and I can't remember what else happened. Something else happens. I know the primary thing is the way he talks to R2, but something happens where he, t he talks to R2 and he talks about someone... Either someone like another, like another bean or someone like that. I can't remember. But a soldier loses his mind because he's like, "How can you treat them as though they are on the same level as you?" And you're like, "We're like." There's a point where you you just want to be like, "Whoa, okay, okay." For, for, first off, let, let's <laughs> let, let's let's not say they with a capital T right here. Okay, <laughs> let's let's start there. Um, you know, because because of course there's there's long been the discussion of and it, and it comes up in this book too, but briefly and then it's just kind of tossed to the side of are droids on the same level as as humans in the sense of care and concern, and for most people they are not, except for Luke, um, except for when he has to shove C three PO into a closet at the end. Um, but when it comes to R two D two. Luke treats him the exact same way that he would treat Han or Leia or anyone else. It is a consistent thing throughout all the stories, so on and so forth. Even even in the even the sequels can't deny that, or, or the sequel haters can't can't deny that mm -hmm. in in the last three films. Um, <clears throat> but it's such a weird scene, and it's never brought up again. <coughs> and it's never sorry, it's never brought up again. Bronte is yelling. Um, okay. It's okay, Bronte's a, <laughs> Bronte's a good dog. Bronte is a good dog. He, he's, she, I think she's agreeing with us that a soldier is kind of the worst. She, she too, um, is getting worked up. She, she is. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, 
it's it's never brought up again that a soldier sees everyone else around him except for Leia, basically, and Luke, who can do these amazing feats and not break every single bone in his body. Um, <laughs> they are the only ones that are his equals to him. And so much so that if anyone is lesser than him, they should be treated like the dirt they are. Which it, it, because because like when I say he freaks out, you anyone who has not read this and is just listening to this podcast might think that I'm being hyperbolic or that I'm, you know, over exaggerating what I'm saying here. But no, he 100% freaks out. Like he his mind cannot wrap around. I think he even says something like that. So at that point, we start going into like. Javert's soliloquy from Les Miserables, um, <laughs> which doesn't work in the middle of this book. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, <laughs> so yeah, uh, just all of that to say, I agree with you. I hated a soldier, just the entire point of this book. And it is, you are a sucky character if the person that you are in direct conflict with used a gun that took away someone's autonomy and we wanted that guy to win for some reason. <laughs> like, and I don't like saying that sentence. I, I, I hope this podcast never comes back to haunt us <laughs> in that sense. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, I hated a soldier so much. Um, and, and like, I know that like, I we're just kind of going into like, um, this character's flaws and things like that. And a good character can be flawed. Um, that's, like, true of, like, all kinds of stories. But the issue with Princess Older here is that these flaws aren't ever addressed and they aren't ever changed. He has he has no real character arc at all because the things he says and does that show him to be this very concerning and troubling individual, like... They happen, and then they're skimmed over, and everybody just kind of moves on to the next step of the journey. So that by the end of the book, you have this character who you're supposed to feel all warm and fuzzy about, and just like, oh, he's he's found true love, and he's going to go and be like a good ruler on his planet. Because we have no reason to believe those things because his flaws were never addressed. So, so it's not as if, Oh, he started out the story like this, but now he's like this because every indication we have is very much, Oh, he started the story like this and he's probably still the same, but now he has like a hot witch. He's going to marry. Like that's, that's the arc for princess older, <laughs> which is not a good arc. Um, you know, you know, l l not, nothing wrong with the hot witches, but like at the same time, that is an issue. I'm all, uh, I'm all for hot witches, man. Hot witches in your area, like I'm <laughs> I'm down for it. But like, um, you know, there's got to be there's got to be some positive things in the mix. Sure. <laughs> um. So you you already addressed it, or at least said something akin to it. But I am, but. I want to I want to hear your thoughts because you already talked about how much you loved all, all of them. So really, just any of the three. Um, why are all of our favorite characters the weirdest they've ever been in this book? Oh man, I don't know. 
Because they were all <laughs> just like every single one of them. If you if you gave me this entire book and told me it was di- and gave me different character names, I'd be like, oh, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> it's very true. Like, um, it's wild because I tried to I've tried to go back a bit and kind of follow the book releases like in real time up to this one. And like, you know, it, it was following up the on the throne trilogy by Timothy Zahn. Um, people have varying opinions of the throne trilogy now, but at the time the throne trilogy was like the first star Wars thing to be excited about in a while. Um, and so like, even, even though Zahn's, Thrawn trilogy had some times where characters acted kind of weird or like, you know, they had lines that didn't quite sound like them because they more matched like Zahn's style of writing instead of like their actual established character patterns. Even with those kind of weird things in it, the characters still felt like themselves by the end of the Thrawn trilogy or just like, okay, this was a story about Han, Leia, Luke and Chewbacca. And like, I feel good about those characters now. With this one, it's so weird because it felt like they, I'm referring to just kind of science fiction writers at the time, it felt like they did not know how to write these characters in a book form. And I know that's not true because they just had the Thrawn trilogy come out. So they at least had examples to go off of how they might transfer to to prose. Um, and that isn't even including all of the other ones that came out before the Thrawn trilogy. Um, but so you have these, so you have these characters in Courtship of Princess Leia where they just kind of do things. And at no point do they really feel like the characters that we have come to know and love. Again, Aya is like, just such a passive and very pliable kind of character in this. The only time I really felt like it was Princess Leia in this story is when she wakes up in the compartment of the Millennium Falcon, um, having like slept off the effects of, of the anti-consent gun. And she's like pissed at Han Solo. That's the only time Princess Leia feels like herself in this book because she's fiery and she's like passionate about this. And she's like giving the business to Han Solo and like and and turning that that guilt and that scrutiny onto him, not just him as a person, but the role and the symbol that he's come to attain and represent for the Republic. And she gives this really, really stabbing really poignant speech about about how Han has just kind of shirked his responsibility and the growth that he's had by doing something this impulsive, this selfish. And that's a really great moment for Princess Leia in this book. The issue is that that does not happen again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the issue is that that's the first and last time she really feels like herself. Um, Luke, I don't know what to say about Luke in the old canon, um, because he's insane. 
<laughs> he really <laughs> is. <laughs> and again, he doesn't have an excuse to be yet because all that's happened is Return of the Jedi. He hasn't like, like, well, I won't get <laughs> spoilers for like Thrawn and like other stories yet. But like, he hasn't seen the soul scarring stuff that he's gonna see in a few years. Sure. <laughs> so, so there's no reason for Luke to be as as detached and vacant as he is throughout this book. But, so, so my big, my biggest issue with Luke in this one was he was just he was very inconsistent as it was because, <clears throat> and I get the whole concept of. I always try. I always try to view any any old canon book. I try to view. I try to view it from the idea of what knowledge did we have about the Star Wars universe at that time, in the sense of you know we didn't have the prequels yet. We didn't have certain ideas about who the Jedi were and what what they meant and so on and so forth. Um, but here's the thing: is that there is a very there's a point. Where Luke, because since because since Luke is searching for the Academy, is also or for the ideas of an Academy, is also searching for a Padawan, and there's a point where he sees a Solder, Tinniel, or however you say her name, Ten. And yeah, I gotcha. Ten. I yes, call her and, Ten. Yeah. <laughs> and Baruka, I think, is her name because she was a. So she was originally part of the. Sisters of the Wind Clan, which is the good yes. Night Sisters, which sounds cool. Sounds cool. cool name yes. for a clan. Sounds she, cool. We're gonna. She, we are forgetting the slavery for a bit. Um, <laughs> Boy, I hope that's to sound sound bite. It's not a sound bite I ever <laughs> want to have attributed to me. No, the more that. I think about it, <laughs> but but we're we're forgetting. We're putting that aside for the moment. Um, then, but then she went to the evil Night Sisters, and then when she left, now she is afflicted by what she has done as with the evil Night Sisters, and and the fact that her sister is leading them, and she has all these visions and so on and so forth. So yeah. Luke sits them down. Honestly, talking, honestly, hmm? just real quick, she's arguably the most interesting character in the book. Absolutely, like, <laughs> oh, dude, I wish no. we got way more of her. One hundred percent, her and. Uh, no, the, the three main Night Sisters of the new characters were the most interesting parts to me. Because um, I, I liked Ogwin, because Ogwin is oddly, like... Because, because while they're discussing what Dathomir is, a lot of times, like, their, ma their major discussion is that with the exception of the Imperial Prison um, that is set up there, they are largely a... I guess primal is the word. Well, like, like pre-industrial pre at, at the at the at the very least. Like like sure. they're like they any blasters they have are, are like crude. They're 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 older. Um, a lot of them use like spears and 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 uh, uh, like slings for for weapons, um, <clears throat> which is really cool. By the way, I really like that concept. Um, but Ogwin is very. I guess politically inclined is how I would, or di diplomatically inclined is how I would say, and the way that she speaks and leads, which is, which once again, also really cool, but I want to know more about that. Yeah. Um, or anybody uh, who did not read the book, but did watch on the Clone Wars cartoon, Ogwin is kind of like a more 
positively aligned version of Towson of the Night Sisters. Like she's more stable. She's more. She's very focused on like her people and her planet and things like that. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, he definitely. I think he is kind of. I feel like Talzin was kind of the mix between Gethzerian, who is the the evil one, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, and and Ogwin. That was kind of their their yeah. goal. Baruka, like you said, which is why Baruka is the most interesting because he's the one we know the, the least about. Um, but um, but 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 I'm 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 getting kind of getting off topic a little bit. But when Luke sits them all down, he talks about. The Force, and he talks about the light side of the Force and how it's you know he 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 even references the Yoda quote of of a of a Jedi uses the Force for knowledge and defense, never never uh, never to attack and never and never for anger. Okay. Fast forward. Um, I don't know if you remember this part of the of the end of the book, Al, because because I I will admit the last like fifty pages run at a breakneck pace where you are just like it is a massive space battle. The they have they have this ability to turn the entire to to literally block out the sun and turn Dathomir into the world of darkness, um, <laughs> which is which it's, man it's crazy man if that Sinji... was not foreshadowed at all like that's just all of a sudden just oh the sun's gone yeah uh, man if, if zinj use if zinj had used that more often he would have won the war like five years earlier <laughs> <laughs> but anyways um, i don't know why he was holding on to that for dathomir that's <laughs> he was like hang on we, we gotta wait for the right time um but no, there's there's a scene at the end where the the entire point of the evil Night Sisters is they are trying to escape to get to a new planet or or to or to go to leave Dathomir and then basically spread the dark the their version of the dark side or whatever you want to call it, okay? Because because at this point we didn't have really an idea of what is there besides the Force and and are there different variants of the Force and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So, so force the, anyways. Um, and then what happens, Jacob? <laughs> <laughs> but there's a point where Han and Luke gets it. Luke gets into a starship and he just starts blowing, blowing everything to hell. Okay. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, you know, no, it, that, that tracks. It's, it, it's, the, it's the first normal thing he does the entire book. It's really the only normal thing he does in the entire book. Um, and even that is done in a weird way because he's like, he's like sitting cross-legged, controlling all the sis- all of the systems of the ship at once. Exactly. And it's just like, what? Is, oh my gosh, Luke! Just, just you have five people with you who are doing nothing. <laughs> do let them do something. Um, but no, so there's a point where Leia's like, Luke, this is. Let's just try to just you know get out of here. Let, let's just survive. We'll leave the leave the nice sisters alone, or, or let them do their own thing. Basically, I, I can't remember exactly how it's said. And Luke is just like, "No, we can't let them escape. Get to the guns." And it's such a weird <laughs> moment. Like, like I'm not. I, I don't think. Like, I don't think I'm being unfair here. It is a weird moment where we go from. 
we can turn people from the dark side to the light to some people aren't worth saving, blow them out of the sky. Like it's, I don't know. It's just, it's weird to me. The, 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 the variations of that. Um, and, 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 you know, I, I, the, the entire point of this, of, of this podcast and, and, and who we are as people is to always defend, um, is to always defend the the choices of 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 Ryan Johnson, the Last Jedi, apparently. But like once mm-hmm. again, what were you all reading? What was is how different is the Luke and Legacy of the Force to the rest of these books? Like I want to get to those books because every time that I talk to anyone about this, they mention Yuuzhan Vong, Thrawn trilogy, or the Legacy of the Force books. And I know in the Thrawn trilogy, he's He's great, at least at least in the first one. I, I legitimately cannot wait for next month because I want to read the second book. But yeah, he feels like himself in the Thrawn. Exactly, like that's the thing. Zahn is Zahn is very good at at writing like believable versions of characters we know. And I think that's I think that's the point of a lot of the older canon books and why they fail. Or, 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 or why some of them fail is because a lot of these guys did not know how to write books based on characters that we knew. And I don't know if that's necessarily a their fault as opposed to any kind of editing issues of just being like, hey, you know, so that gun of command thing that Han uses. Um, <laughs> like, I understand Star Wars was not its peak in 1994 but at the very least it was big enough that you probably wanted to be like hey maybe han solo shouldn't do that like maybe Maybe. like i want to know who was the who was the editor on this um but but yeah i just it it was really honestly honestly we've like in our discussion of like why these characters are doing things they wouldn't normally do we kind of like glazed over han and like uh, when arguably han is the most like egregious example of this like han you take a character who had one of the most satisfying long-form character arcs in a hi-fi where he's like this rogue he's like this scummy kind of guy who's only in it for himself and he slowly transforms into into a friend, into a war hero, into being very self-sacrificial about things. And for some reason, when they were drafting this book, they were just kind of like, hey, what if um, Han kind of ignores all that good character growth he had and does the one thing he would not ever do and just kind of like violate the trust and autonomy of the person he loves. And they were just kind of like, that sounds good to me. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's the most mind blowing example of when an iteration of a character feels like it was made by someone who did not like even view the source material. Yeah. Like it's, it's so insane because when I read him shooting Leia with a gun that would make her subservient to his suggestions. 
I was just like, this is the least Han Solo thing I can think of him ever trying to do. Like, if he were to, like, con her and kind of, like, play a trick on her to, like, go to Dathomir with him in hopes of, like, rekindling their romance, or if he was um, just kind of, like... I'm just kind of like, hey, I'll I'll take y'all to upon myself and then, like, divert from the path and go to Dathomir to try to do his whole plan. Like, that would have just been like, okay, sure. Han Solo has always been kind of impulsive. He's always had, like, a flair for, like, holding holding tricks and kind of uh, diverting off course for things uh, that he cares about. Like, sure, that's fine. But they did it in a way that dishonors the character so much that it's wild. I kind of wish Josh was on this with us to hear him talk about how, how like his favorite Star Wars character was treated in this book. Like it's, <laughs> it's wild. <laughs> no, I, Han has one moment where he actually seems like Han, which I'm, which we're, I'm not going to get into because it, it it's it's my hypest moment of the book. Um, it because let me tell you it t- it took a hundred and three pages before I actually enjoyed something in this book, um, and it didn't uh, and it took it took a while before I found anything else. Um, but 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 you're absolutely correct, especially especially in the sense of like you know. Leia is very. Leia is technically a. I don't like to say stagnant. I like to say static character, where 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 she is very. She is very set in her ways, and although she does grow as a character, she doesn't change as much as Han does from like A New Hope to Return of the Jedi. Do, does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Um. Because he obviously has development. I don't. I don't, I don't want. I'm not trying to say anything bad about Princess Leia. I would never. Sure. He did, um, yeah. She doesn't have as far to go as Han does. Yes. Over the course the of three thing. films. Yeah. Um. In a similar way that Luke, Luke doesn't. In in a, in a lot of ways, he he does, but it's an it's a, it's a very different kind of journey. Whereas Han, like you said, Han basically does a full, just a full turnaround on who he is as a person, and. Reading, also reading this book after reading *Air of the Empire* is the is one of the more jarring effects of of any any kind of reading that any any kind of series that I've done because all of them are so different and it's so weird to read read a story where they are all fairly accurate to what we see in the films and then all of a sudden we get whatever's happening in this. Um, but yeah, Han is, and he's also like, like also there's a point where he starts like speaking in like this weird like, almost like a, almost like a Shakespearean esque tone. <laughs> um, do you know what I'm talking about? No, what are you talking about? Oh, okay, hang on, hang on. Okay, it's early. It's early. It's early. <laughs> I I swear I'm not insane. Okay. <laughs> Cause it, it's when he's first. It's I actually use, okay. It's I, before he. I okay, usually. I know why you're confused. I usually try to yes and you on this show, but I have no idea what you're talking about right now. <laughs> it's um. Oh my gosh. 
I, sw- I swear. Okay, I. I'm Where looking- art thou, Dathomir? <laughs> it's not. It's not that I'm, weird. I'm sorry. That'd be Luke talking anyway, just kind of like <laughs> softly speaking to himself <laughs> in a corner because he's a weirdo in the old canon. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that people are just like, yeah, Luke Skywalker is kind of off in The Last Jedi. And then you go back and you read the old canon stories and like Luke Skywalker is a person that if you saw on the street, you would cross the other way. Like he... Oh, good lord, I should have written down the page. I'm so excited. <laughs> this is my hypest moment from the book, is hearing <laughs> you talk about how Han Solo turns into a into a sonnet-based speaking pattern. <laughs> Look, man, it's weird. It's really weird. I think it's right before he shoots her with the gun, which, God, that's a sentence I didn't want to say. Oh. Wow. <laughs> okay, that's the card game, so it's not there. It's while it, it's while he's talking to Leia. I know that because it it sounds like he's trying to impress her in the weirdest in the weirdest way. Mm. That's true. Han Solo was he he comes off as as very cringe in this book. I don't like to use that word very often mm-hmm. because like it's one of those words that is used all the time as kind of lost what it originally meant. But like cringe is a good word for how Han usually acts in this book. Like it's very strange. Yeah. Okay. I'll tell you what, 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 something you could talk about while, while I'm doing this. Cause I sure. know you better, you better have remembered this. Uh, talk about how great C3PO song is. Oh dude. Like he, <laughs> it's incredible. It's incredible because it comes out of nowhere at all. <laughs> and Leia is not entertained by it. She's just like, no, C-3PO, stop. Because C-3PO composes and writes this song about how wonderful Han Solo is. Because Han has has manipulated this droid into becoming his wingman, <laughs> which is a great sentence. And so C-3PO is just kind of like, oh, I've got, oh. Oh, honey, she is going to be in love with you by the time I'm done with her. And so he has a throwaway comment where he's just like, I've written like 15,000 other verses to this song, if you like to hear them. And it's just a, a song about how like how great Han Solo is, and he's a hero, and he's the king of Corellia. Which, again, C-3PO, a droid, <laughs> scanned the records to know that Han was seemingly the heir to Corellia, but he missed the fact that it was fake. However, he's able to write like 15,000 verses of a song in the style of other songs he has studied. <laughs> it's just kind of like, how do, how do droids work? I want to know, what is the standard for how a droid works in the Star Wars universe? Because that seems so inconsistent. Just like, oh, well, he read this account, but he, sk- he skipped over the footnotes at the end um, because that's something that computers do whenever they read a document and analyze it. Uh, and so, well, but no, I wish 
I wish I could hear that song. I wish it was set to actual like tablature so that we could hear it with the full effect of what it was meant to be. Because Han Solo, what a guy. What a guy and what, what a, a man. What a man and what a yes. king. <laughs> what a man and what a king. Ironically, that is how I also describe Josh on his birthday. Yeah. <laughs> it's what a man and what a king. That is fair. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, apparently I've gone insane. I'm starting to think you don't have the bank statements to back up your talk. Like I'm so- apparently. <laughs> I could have sworn I you know what's crazy is like there's going to be like TikTok or something now, like later this week of me being like, I found it. It's <laughs> Everyone stay clued for that. <laughs> I can't wait. I might reactivate my TikTok account. Like that sounds amazing. Oh man. Okay, anyway, moving on. I'm, anyway. I'm sorry. But, I mean, bottom line, Han Solo's a psychopath in this book. So, like, <laughs> that's the important part we, we need to be taking from this. Whether he sounds weird or not, he's a psychopath. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, because once again, I forgot that the last thing he says before he shoots her with a gun of command is, you always like rogues, which is a terrifying thing to hear a before you basically lose say. consciousness. A um, horrible thing to say. Exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> but okay, we're, we're gonna... <laughs> we're, we have talked about this book and things about it longer than I had anticipated anyways. Um... Be, before before we start getting towards our closing things, because I, I, I do want to talk about I want to talk about the author, and then we'll do our hypest moments and and everything else. Um, but yeah, before sure. we get there, Al, I, I am curious your thoughts uh, because mm-hmm. we already talked about C three PO song, and that that was that was necessary. Um, I am curious your thoughts on how the Night Sisters and the Planet of Dathomir in itself evolved from what we see in this book, which there are things that I really enjoyed about them in this book. Um, I, I actually like how they all have different kind of forms of magic that they use. Mm. Um, I thought that was kind of cool. I, I love, I will, there will never be a point where I see a rancor and I'm not happy. Um, unless, unless it's actually chasing me. That's the only time. Just to see one in real life. <laughs> exactly. That that's the moment I'd be like, oh no, never mind. Um, but every other time, if Rancor shows up in, in 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 a Star Wars in a piece of Star Wars media, I am I am hype. Um, but I, I'm curious your thoughts on the Night Sisters and and how they evolved from what we see here in '94 to what we see in. I mean, really, this, uh, well, well, let's just say Clone Wars, probably, because that's, I mean, that's the, that's when they're really kind of revamped. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, here's, here's the soundbite for everybody to say out there. It is a shame that um, slavery is preventing me from saying uh, that Dathomir is so cool. Because, <laughs> because it really, like, it really is, man. Dathomir has a lot of really cool stuff in it. And on uh, the Night Sisters and um, on um, the characters there 
have really interesting things about them. Um, I loved that the first, uh, the first thing we really see as far as how the witches of Deathmere use the Force is um, from the character Ten when she's fleeing the Night Sisters, and she basically like summons a Force storm with like huge winds and strikes of lightning and things like that. It kind of um, reminded me of some of the sorcery that um, Zana does in the Bane and on the Darth Bane books. Um, and so I thought that was really cool. Um, it's, it's kind of sick that, um, on the main evil night sister in this, um, at Zarion, her, her version of using the force is to like cause a, a brain hemorrhage in people and just kill them. Like that's, that's honestly really sick. It's a very, um, there's always a discussion of just like, well, how dark side is the idea of using the force to like poke somebody? Is it inherently evil? Is it just like another way to use the force? Um, using the force to kill somebody with a brain aneurysm is like a, a really good way to show that they're using the dark side. That's like, <laughs> it's so efficient and so intense and just so like, such a savage way to attack somebody with the force like there's no there's no confusion on what the intent behind that is like there's no possible outside interpretation of of killing somebody by causing a hemorrhage in their brain <laughs> and so it's just a such a solid way to like to set somebody in that role um and I think it's interesting. I mean, we kind of see um, small spoilers for the Ahsoka show, but like we kind of see some throwback here because, you know, we find the Night Sisters in courtship of Princess Leia, and their real desire is to get off planet and to basically spread out and see what there is out there, see if they can recruit other people, see what kind of um, power and a minion there is to gain for their sect. And and in Ahsoka, we find a group of Eight Sisters who also want to leave where they're at and go see what kind of power there is to be found in the galaxy. And so it's kind of cool to see that parallel there, this idea that, um, you know, their connection to the Force is so strong that it's almost outgrown their sense of home on Athamir, that it's calling them to something greater than just where they are. And I think that's a really interesting kind of angle to have for an antagonist motivation. Um, I kind of wish they explored the connection between the Empire and the Night Sisters a bit more than what they did. Mm. Um, it, it seems like the Night Sisters and Gitzerion were very much kind of at the whim of, of the Empire. Um, and at the uh, kind of whim and decision and and order of Warlord Zinj. And I get that they were just kind of using that as like as like a bargaining chip to getting their own ship and getting off planet. But I kind of wish there was just a bit more there to kind of expand upon, you know, did who who originally sought that partnership out? Like what did the original version of their agreement and their alliance look like? Um and so it'd be interesting to have kind of explored that a bit more. 
but um no it's just really cool i mean like the seeds are there the seeds for our now modern understanding of what dathomir is and who the night sisters are they were um i think very efficiently planted here in this book because you know they use the force they use alternate versions and uses of the force that we don't usually see which is just really cool it's cool to learn about different angles of something we know um and love so well it's interesting to see their kind of connection to a more primal version of the force as you were talking about that has more to do with nature and mysticism as opposed to kind of like the discipline and ideology that the jedi and the sith have and so um all of that was just really really cool um i don't really know i don't know how because when we talked about dathomir by the end of this book i was kind of like trying to figure out in my head you know um how does what we see of dathomir and like um the darth plagueis book uh, which is old canon how does that kind of align with what we see of dathomir here in courtship of princess leia which takes place after the events of tarth plagueis um and so you know that's always kind of interesting to think about i know we don't see a lot of dathomir in the plagueis book but like it is there um so that's kind of interesting it's interesting that the Hype Brothers, which has become a very significant part of Star Wars lore just because of how popular Darth Maul and Savage Press have become. Mm-hmm. Um, how we don't see the Hype Brothers really talked about here on Dathomir. Um, all of the warrior cast, t- um, to use that word, seems to be supplied by Emin um, still um, um, in this version of Dathomir. So it's kind of interesting that that aspect um, just really isn't there. It could just be a disconnect between Ode and New Canon and how plans change. But um, yeah, I mean, overall, I mean, I was really interested in Deathmere. I thought the the aesthetic and the story behind the Night Sisters was really cool. Really wish they did not keep slaves. Like, you don't have to be... It's so weird and yet so almost expected like it's so weird yet so unsurprising um is the word that this male author wrote about two societies in sci-fi that are patriarchal and both of them are not good <laughs> like it's so weird that he went that route but it's so unsurprising at the same time like sci-fi in the 90s that's just that's just kind of how it was and it's unf- fortunate that that's the case yeah i just <clears throat> like you said there's there's a lot of just cool things and it just it's ruined <laughs> it's ruined by slavery which there there's a soundbite for you, just, which, sl- you know, which slavery does ruin everything it touches it ruins so. everything yeah um on brand it is on brand it's on brand for slavery um <laughs> I didn't know that was going to enter into my my Star Wars stories any more than uh, Anakin Skywalker as a as a little boy, um, but here we are. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just it. I I was intri- I was definitely intrigued 
and and it's something that I haven't like heard Dave Filoni talk about. Um, but I am intrigued by the idea that they want to go out into the galaxy in this book. But like you said, there is a point in the Ahsoka show, mild spoilers, where they're they are very clearly wanting something in out in the galaxy as well. Do we know what? No, we don't. Um, no, we don't. We we will see what happens going forward. <laughs> Zero spoilers for Ahsoka. Um, the end of that show asks more questions than it answers. So. It, it, it does. <laughs> It's very good, but it does ask more questions than it answers. Um, <clears throat> but no, I, um, I, I think a, a a study into the entirety of the Night Sisters, uh, which I'm really, I'm honestly surprised we don't have more, due to the popularity of characters like Asajj Ventress and uh, mm-hmm. Marin from yeah uh, the, from the Jedi. Uh, games it's infuriating it is and it's like I mean you have like I know she's busy but like good lord g- give that to Claudia Gray she would and she would just destroy that like, like it, 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 it'd yeah. be awesome um, yeah. you know but but alas, um, alas. yeah but, this book it I will say the one thing that really bothers me about Dathomir and the Night Sisters and the Force Witches is that they go. This book really goes out of its way to glaze over the fact that bad things are happening on that planet as part of their culture, and like it's just it's kind of whatever to our characters because like it's it's odd that. There are so many themes that come up in this book in regards to Dathomir that have very obvious analogs to indigenous people in the real world. Like, um, you know, the fact that the rights and ownership of a planet can just be won in a card game by (laughs) by random people who haven't ever gone to that planet. And at one point, Han Solo shows up and talks to this patriarchal society of of indigenous people and it's just like actually i own this planet and i'm not a fan of how you're going about things <laughs> like the most on the nose that colonialism has ever been is in this book and you know it's just kind of like you know um i mean you know the the nice sisters and the women who live with them you know they don't have like a lot of technology they aren't as advanced as we are um, they don't have like all these things. They're primal and they're savage and things like that. And and like it's not it's it's just not addressed one way or the other. So you're just kind of left kind of wondering what the author's intent was and what he's trying to say. Like, are you like are you pro indigenous people? Are you anti indigenous people? Like, I can't tell. <laughs> like. <laughs> Because it seems like these indigenous people are doing a lot of really bad things, but like you also aren't like having these invaders correct those things. So like, are, I don't know what you're saying. Like, <laughs> and it's too on the nose. The parallels are too obvious to assume that he's not trying to say anything. Like, there's something, something there. Yeah. <laughs> there's something there, 
And he's just kind of like, mm, I don't know. I guess I'll shrug and talk more about the divine right of kings. And we're just like, okay, <laughs> I guess I'll read about that for five more pages. <laughs> All right, Dave. <laughs> well, that does lead perfectly into the the last of the of the main questions because just kind of discussing Dave Wolverton, the the author of this book. Dave uh, Wolverton, let's do it. Yeah. Um, My boy. So Dave Wolverton is going to appear later on uh, in the podcast because, um, yeah, yes, because and he's and here's the thing. This is even crazier. He's actually appeared on the podcast before. Um, yeah, Al, I don't know if you noticed this or not. I love that you did that. Oh, my gosh. Um, I don't know if you noticed this. I don't know if you knew this Al, or realized this, but he wrote the Dengar story in the Tales of the Bounty Hunters book. Um, I did see that he, um, I didn't realize it at the time, obviously, but I did see when I was researching for this episode, he had a writing credit on Tales of Bounty Hunters. Mm. Yeah. Were, were, were you, were you hoping it was the Boba Fett one, which was really weird? Um, I was hoping it wasn't any of them. I, I knew it wasn't the IG-88 one. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was the second best one of the book. Um... <laughs> Uh, but yes, he wrote the Dengar story in that. But even before that, uh, I mean, of course, I mean, he wrote these before this. But the one that always hit me, because one of the very first book series I ever really got into, because naturally, Star Wars has been such a big thing for my entire life. Um, one of the first book series I got into was called Jedi Apprentice. And for those of you who do not know, they were a... Um, they were a basically a, a scholastic children's book series um, on the adventures of Obi-Wan Kenobi and Qui-Gon Jinn uh, set before episode one. So when Obi-Wan is just now and when, when they've just now gotten together. In fact, the, fir- the, the book that Dave Wolverton wrote is the first one of the series. And um, in that one, it is the meeting of Qui-Gon Jinn, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and it's it's interesting. Uh, I would I remember loving it as a child, and I would love to revisit at least at the very least the first two um, sometime in the near future. And me and Al will probably be discussing that here soon for uh, next year, um, because the first one is written by Dave Wolverton, and then of course it's it is eventually taken over by Jude Watson, who writes the rest of the series, um, and is an author that I fell in love with because of that. But that's a that's for that episode. Um, but Wolverton is also known for after after he did after he had his own writing career, he also taught at um, uh, forgive me uh, BYU, right? Yes. Oh, 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 Brigham Young. Brigham Young. Brigham um, Young. He taught at BYU, uh, featuring um, students who some of you may know, uh, Brandon Sanderson being one of the more prominent ones. Author uh, of the Cosmere Universe. Yes. Uh, Miss Bourne and Way of Kings and Stormlight Archive and all that. Um, Brandon Sanderson... In fact, Elantris, his first book, is credited to Dave Wolverton, or at least that one part in the uh, the acknowledgments, um, because they did become very close friends as his uh, career has grown since then. Um, but Al, we discovered something right before the beginning of this podcast. Who oh. is 
<laughs> I love it. Ask me the question, Jacob. <laughs> who was the other person that Dave Wolverton taught at BYU? <laughs> Arguably the other most influential sci-fi author of the 21st century. Um, <laughs> Stephanie Meyer of the Twilight series. Mm -hmm. um, she also wrote The Host, which is a significantly better book than any of the Twilight books. <laughs> but... <laughs> Let's be honest. She's the person who wrote Twilight. Like, she's the person who wrote Twilight. That, that's what she's known. Yeah. Let's be uh, real that, about this. That is what she is known for. Um, but no, it's. I I want to read his other stuff. I do. Um, I especially want. I, I he he has apparently written a or he apparently wrote a fantasy series called Rune Worlds, which I would love to read. His own characters, his own world. Um, yes. Because as as we have discussed in this, I am wondering if he is just an author who is not great at adaptation when it comes to the characters. Because from from a from a composition standpoint of you know story structure and um, uh, you know sentence structure and everything, it's 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 perfectly fine the way it's yeah. written. There yeah. there's there's no issues there. It's strictly my my biggest issue with this with this book as a whole is that the characters that i knew and loved did not feel like the characters i grew up watching from the from the from the original trilogy um and i i, I don't know it just didn't it it just it did not it did not resonate well with me um al did what what were kind of your thoughts on on wolverton as a writer in this um yeah, I mean, like, um, as you said, um, <clears throat> um, constructionally, you know, I didn't think there was anything like wrong with the book. I thought the pr I thought the prose was very, um, uh, was very readable. Um, I didn't have any issues with that. Um, the story beats. I mean, they hit their beats. We t t took a little bit too much time, in my personal opinion, to actually um, get to Dathomir. But once we got there, like things progressed uh, very fast and very well so that it didn't feel like a slow read. And so like, you know, like, you know, the book itself was fine. As you said, you know, there's just the things in it are just weird. And, and the small glimpses of commentary that we got that seemed to like tease some insight into what the author was trying to say, but then gets abandoned um, very fast. You know, that was kind of frustrating I don't know if he did that because, like, you know, um, it was a Star Wars book and, like, editorial didn't want him to get super, like, overhanded or or if it was because, you know, it was still kind of early in his career. So, so he didn't have the confidence to really go into those kinds of stances that he had, as mysterious as they are. I don't think we'll ever know. Um, but... Um, so those things were frustrating. Um, you know, uh, the slavery was an odd choice. But <laughs> as far as, you know, the mechanics and the pros of the writing, it was fine. Um, um, uh, Dave Wolverton is also interesting for anybody out there who's into, like, um, true crime or comparative religion or anything like that. Um, Wolverton um, did have ties both to... Mormonism, if that was not obvious enough, considering he held a teaching 
a position at BYU. Um, and it was a mentor to Brandon Sanderson. Uh, but he has ties to that, and he also had um, some um, not as close ties as well to um, Scientology. Um, you don't usually see both in one person, but he was there. Um, he was um, in hell. He was held in very high esteem with L. Ron Hubbard. Uh, he won a couple of L. Ron Hubbard sponsored rewards for, for his sci-fi works. Um, he expanded on a lot of the sci-fi stories that LRH wrote himself. Um, so, like, it's just really interesting to see that kind of stuff happen, as well as to see the influence he had on authors who went on to be very influential in sci-fi as well. So, um, so yeah, he's an interesting guy. Um, I'm unfortunately, he did pass away um, early in 2022. Um, but I'm not... Uh, I think you bring up some good points as far as, you know, being kind of intrigued to delve into his other stuff that he kind of wrote and created because, you know, the vast majority of it happened after he wrote this. So there's um, a chance that he, that his craft kind of grew and evolved a bit more. Um, he had more ownership to um, kind of control the characters and stories he was creating. So I'm, you know, I'm always down to like try new fantasy sci-fi books um, I, I've added um, the Rune Lord books to my um, TBR list. Um, my TBR list is about 85 pages long, so who knows when I'll get to them. But um, but um, no, it's just like, yeah, it's a very, he's a very interesting guy who wrote um, overall a very disappointing Star Wars book. But, um, you know, at the time, um, you know, it's hard... It's hard to follow up Timothy's on on Star Wars books in the '90s. To be completely fair, it's true, and that yeah. was kind of the task he had before him. So, so yeah, yeah, I uh, yeah, I, d- I definitely, I definitely agree with the last part because um, I think of the of all the old canon stuff we have read. Um, I think I think either either James Luceno with Darth Plagueis, which which I I. I the more I think about it, the more I like that book. Um and Timothy Zahn's Heir to the Empire have been my two favorites that we have read from them. Um yeah, I so uh, so we we'll, we'll, I'm kind of gonna do this backwards, but I'm assuming our answers are the same. Does this enter into your grand canon? Um no. Yeah, that's no. kinda yeah, same. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I know um I, I kinda talked up the guy a bit. Um I'm just now, just as far as, as having an interesting life and having an interesting career, but um, no, the things that happen in this story are are very silly and dumb, and they don't get into my green cannon. <laughs> yeah, and 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 that's the other thing is like they're unless you just really want to see the history of like Dathomir, and you really want to go into a deep dive of every time it was mentioned. This that's really the only reason. And in the sense of would I ever suggest this book to someone else, um, that is the only time I would I would reference it for anyone else because any any other things that this book does, whether it's you know cool starfighter moments or or, or yeah, it's about it. Um, I there there are other books that do it better. Um, so yeah. yeah, and in fact, there, there's an entire series called Rogue Squadron that I've heard is really good. So, yep. you know. I'm 
I'm actually really glad you brought that up because I was about to forget uh, to talk about this. Um, it struck me while reading this, just real quick, everybody. So, so Warlord Zinj, he is very well known in the expanded universe of Star Wars. Um, he is not known for this book. He is known for being one of the primary antagonists of of the X-Wing series of books, which star um, everyone's favorite pilot, Edge and Tilly's. The X-Wing books in real time, in real life, came out after the courtship of Francis Aya. And that struck me as so strange that the first introduction we get to Warlord Zinj, who is built up to be this really powerful, formidable character, is um, his death and demise in the courtship of Princess Leia. And then afterwards, people were... Um, like old Hackpole was just kind of like, I should write a little bit more about this guy. He seemed to be kind of a big deal. Um, <laughs> I'm going to devote like five of these eight books I'm writing to to building up Imperial Warlord Zinge a little bit more because he kind of he's he's got like ten pages in Courtship of Princess Leia, and he probably needs a little bit more. <laughs> You almost, you almost wonder if, if, like, like he was trying to like find someone who was already like, like used, and he was like, well, I can't really use Pelion, definitely can't use Thrawn. Like, just kind of going through, just like, I guess Singe or Singe or however you're supposed to say his name. Like, I guess we'll try him. It's what you have to do, man. When you had an author who was as protective as his characters as Don was, like, you had to. <laughs> had to start to pull from other sources. Fair. I mean, and I, I don't even blame him, honestly. Um, but all, all right, Al, last, last question and, and the mainstay. Um, what was your hypest moment in this book? Um, so I really like the point in the book where Seems like everything is about to go to hell. Um, Luke is like lost in the jungle somewhere. He had a very confusing and hard to keep track of fight with Kim Sirion. <laughs> and I don't really know what happened there. Um, and And like, you know, they're trying to get off planet. Zinj has like said, you know, I'm gonna basically destroy this planet if we don't get Han Solo. Algazarian has said, I'm gonna start to kill these these prisoners of war um, if you don't deliver yourself to me, so I can deliver you to Zinj. So Whoa. things are are kind of going, to, yeah. So things are kind of going to hell, and Han Solo is just kind of like, okay, and he does. If Aya's rant to Han Solo on the Falcon was the most um, Aya-esque that she was in the whole book, to me, this part is probably the most Han Solo-esque that he was in this book. Because he saw no other way out, and he was just kind of like, okay, I'm going to go 
through my stash of black market weapons that I have that the Republic would not be happy to know that I have. That's great. That's a very Han Solo move. I love that. Um, I'm going to grab this grenade of mass destruction, apparently, and I'm going to have it on me when I turn myself in. And um, this is just kind of where my story ends. I'm going to ensure that the people I love get off planet and I'm going to use this explosive to kill the Night Sisters and as any Imperial remnants as I can. And I'll go out in a blaze of glory. And I was just like, okay, that's that's pretty hardcore. Um, it gets kind of undermined very, very quickly in the book. But um, I thought that was honestly really, really cool. Of course, you know, the teeth are t- taken out of it because, like, you know, this isn't where Han Solo dies. But um, just that idea, that motivation, his recognition of the circumstances and the stakes and his decision to be very selfless and sacrifice himself for the people he loved, that felt like way more like the Han Solo we knew by the end of Return of the Jedi. So um, I really enjoyed that. Uh, that part got me very hyped. It's a very badass thing for Han Solo to do. Yeah, that's that's that is a great moment. Uh, it it is interesting as much shit as we've given Han Solo that we're both about to pick two Han Solo moments in this book as our hypest moments. Well, what uh, is well, what is Princess Leia allowed to do? That's true. <laughs> which is which is the biggest? Oh my gosh! Yeah. Princess she, Leia. She stands there and she lusts after two men. Yeah. Like, that's all she does. It, it's so weird. She's so. Like, and this was. Driven. Like, it's crazy. Like, I, I tried to talk about this with a friend of mine at work and his and his response. And, and, and I don't agree with his response. But what he said is he was like, well. Maybe they were writing it from an earlier Princess Leia perspective where she wasn't really the general yet that she becomes in Empire and Return of the Jedi. I'm like, okay, that's great. But at the same time, one, this was written in 1994, which is 11 years after Return of the Jedi. And two, um, even in New Hope, Leia is not like this at all. It's so... Okay, no, no, not gonna go on on, on a Leia rant. I'm... And even, and like, even like in context of the story, like this is still a uh, after Return of the Jedi, after four years of a like drawn out high casualty war with yeah. Imperial remnants. Like, it's not like, yeah, I don't know. I don't really buy that explanation. <laughs> I mean, there, there's a point where there's a point where Han. As like a leader of a strike force, like sits down at a table and is like, I don't know. I just thought four years ago we defeated the Emperor and Darth Vader. I thought this would all be done soon by now. And Leia's is kind of like, that's great. So about like the proposal I have, um, <laughs> you know, it's 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 weird. It's it's weird. But but anyways, the my hypest moment. All right. So so you picked. So you picked a, a Han Solo moment that is very much within his characterization, um, which which is a great moment. For me, my hypest moment it's it's the first time I legitimately had joy in this book, and it was not so much a 
a moment of Han's characterization as it was of Han's abilities and who he is. Um, so when they first get to Dathomir, they are surrounded by war by warlord send his warships and everything and they start sending fighters at him and everything it's a whole thing and what they have around them is basically a ship graveyard for lack of a better term where just these husk of different star destroyers that have been used for scrap for parts or different shuttles that have been brought there as basically a blockade um, for Dathomir. And Han has the idea to land inside a shuttle, effectively destroy its um, gravitational... uh... Wait, no, how does he do... Okay, there is a... I can't remember exactly how he does it, but there is a way that he gets that he gets the, the shuttle to start heading towards the planet's surface, and then they are in free fall the entire time. The same way that Luke was when he's when his body was ragdolling around the <laughs> around his starfighter. <laughs> yeah, but he was fine. <laughs> but but he was fine. However, they are not ragdolling because what they are doing is he wanted to get the TIE fighters that were attacking him to basically slam right inside of the right inside of the shuttle. He does this by shooting a an array that is still attached to the shuttle, which then explodes in a shower of sparks. And because he knows how TIE fighters are made, he knows that the, he has two seconds before the parasteel windows, which are covering a TIE fighter, will auto-adjust so that they don't get blinded by the um, by the sparks from that array. But by the time they adjust, they have no idea where to turn. So effectively, he uses that as a way to make them go straight into the shuttle and then explode. Then, while the shuttle is free-falling from the planet, he manages to time it just perfectly to where... He's going to fly the Falcon out from the shuttle. It's going to land on the ground in a shower of fire and destruction. And then they have to use the Falcon to get away just far enough to where they're going to, to where Zinj would assume that everything was destroyed um, within the shuttle. It's a really cool, like, it, it's, it reminded me of, okay, it reminds me of the, of the Kessel Run scene in Solo. Like it, it reminded me yeah. of that. It reminded me of him escaping the the Star Destroyers um, in Empire Strikes Back in the asteroid field. It reminded me of classical action versions of Han as a as a pilot, and and stuff like that always gets me just because I just lo- I love the ships, I love the flying. I've yeah. always thought it was great. Um, it's one of the reasons I eventually want to read the X Wing books because that's just it's right up my alley. Um, <clears throat> So yeah, that's my that's my hypest moment. The, and those like six pages were were the first time in this book that I was just like, finally we're getting to something that I've re- that I want to see. And uh, so yeah, that's that that's why it is my hypest moment. Um, all right, um, Al, any closing thoughts on the, or anything that you have not said about Courtship of Princess Leia that that you really want to? Because I I, I never want to talk about this book again. I'm I'm a level with it. <laughs> Um. <laughs> um. Yeah. I. I mean, like, look. I. Even in Star Wars books, I don't like 
Um, I still find ways to have fun. Um, just like just stopping every few pages to to wrestle with how ridiculous this story got. Like that was still enjoyable. Um, sh- shout outs to my wife because when I first uh, decided to start my Star Wars EU journey so many years ago now it feels like um, um, I remembered that she had always talked about how she had read um, The Courtship of Princess Leia when she was in high school and uh, there was um, some fun stuff in that book so I was about to start with that one and she stopped me and said well you should read Throne first and I was just like oh okay Unbeknownst to me, not realizing that she had probably <laughs> saved me from being turned off from the Star Wars universe forever if I had started with this, but still kind of given me a nudge to read this one still because she knew I would enjoy how nonsensical it is. But um, so shout outs to her. Um, no shout out to Josh because I see why Alyssa uh, suggested this book. I, I don't get why he did. Um, because it so violates characters that he loves so much. Um, so no shout outs to Josh on this one. Um, I gave him enough of a shout out when we covered shadows of the empire. Um, so, so he only gets one, but yeah, everybody go read princess and the scoundrel. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go read the new canon version of have you, have you read that? <laughs> And got married. Um, I have. It's good. Is it? Is it okay? I did. Yeah, I did want to read good. it. I I haven't gotten around to it yet. I'm not sure. I don't think I have it yet. But uh, but that is something we might remedy and we might do. Um, mm. in, in a future yeah. episode, we. Uh, yeah, an old episode of compare and contrast, if you will. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Keep that copy of Course of Princess Leia nearby, guys, if you want to follow <laughs> along with us. Um, or don't. <laughs> just or don't. Listen to we this episode care. again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, just listen to this again. You'll be, you'll be fine. Um, Al, as as always, my brother, thank you so much for for hanging out tonight. Uh, talking about Pleasure this. as always. Weird Star Wars book with me. Um, of course, next month, guys, we are continuing as you I can go and tell you the next two months, actually. Um, Ooh. Yeah. Uh, so next month we do have the second of the Thrawn trilogy, which is Dark Force Rising, yeah, I believe. Dark Force Rising. Yes. OK. Um, which is in my brother's car somewhere. I need to get that out and start reading. Um and then in January, we are doing – we are going back to the High Republic era for Fallen Star by Claudia Gray. Mm-hmm. Um, arguably my favorite of the, of the first three, honestly. Um, end of that trilogy, end of phase one of the High Republic. Yeah. Um, and just a really good book. It's going yeah. to be fun. Fantastic book. I, I, cannot, I cannot wait to talk about that with you. Um. Especially because I don't know spoilers for Phase Three, which has recently started, so I have no idea where it's going to go from from the end of that book. Still, dude, dude. Um, oh my gosh, I've read like two issues of um of the Starlight 
comic book uh, that's come out since. And um, that is about it. So I am, I, I'm on the train. I'm just kind of like, okay, Charles. So where are we going? <laughs> <laughs> You've had me wait for a very odd phase two. So what? So what are we doing here? <laughs> it is. I am intrigued to see where how phase two connects to everything else. Um, I'm eager to learn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But anyways, that that is these are all questions for another time. These are all books and comics and things to read for another time. So thank you all so much for hanging out with us. We love you all. We're going to see you soon. Um, And literally the day after this airs is going to be the first episode of Christmas Fest um, by Al and Jenny featuring Jingle All the Way. Jingle Um, All the Way. And let me tell you guys, it is, it is incredible. And they've got some great episodes all throughout planned for the rest of Christmas fest. So I'm really excited for the rest of them. Um, so you do not want to miss out. Um, we love you all. And we'll be talking to y'all soon. Hope you have a wonderful evening. And as always, remember that fandom is for everyone. You guys have a good night. Slavery is bad.